In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not overcome it. Logos, heart of God, mind of Christ, with your host, Andy Anastasopoulos. Hello, everybody. Welcome to this week's episode of Logos, heart of God, mind of Christ. I am your host, the Hellenic historian, also known as the Spartan. I hope you guys had a great, fantastic weekend. We are in a brand new month. It is officially October 1st, 2017. It feels like, although with this crazy weather, you never know, it feels like the summer weather is finally gone. And I'm okay with that because I'm just ready for the fall. You know, I know people that were all about, they loved, last week was hot. I don't even know why that is, but we had hot summer weather last week. So very weird. And a lot of people who are into the beach were like, yeah, I'll take this week. I'm like, I won't. I'm ready to go move on. Uh, I'm ready for the new season. It feels different. Life, life feels good. The season feels good. And, you know, quite frankly, my wardrobe looks great on the autumn and fall season. So I say bring in the chilly weather. I'm ready to go. I'm ready for pumpkins. I'm ready for, you know, that whole atmosphere. You know, the tra- the changing of the leaves. You know, I tell you about the Greek myth that's happening. Uh, that would go ahead and, and tell the story, but that's not that kind of show. If you want to hear that, check that out on History by Fire. Anyway, before we get started with this week's episode, I want to remind you to please check out this amazing network. Okay, if you go to a historywithgod.org and you click on the network tab, there are so many great Christian-inspired uh, shows every day of the week. So I highly recommend you check them out. Please go to a historywithgod.org and just click on podcasts, and you'll find my show there on Tuesdays, as well as many other amazing people with a great voice, for the, and the Lord is definitely using them. And uh, I highly recommend it. I know a lot of times I'm really big on on driving and putting uh, um, podcasts in my dashboard. I just put on a little flash stick and stick it right in. And I listen to a lot of these great shows. And I definitely recommend them. The mind, if you want to connect it with God, is like a muscle. And, you know, it, it's one thing to open the door to the Lord, but it's another thing to cultivate a relationship with him. And I think that's one of the ways you can do it, by reading the word and also by uh, listening to a lot of Christ-inspired podcasts. So definitely check this uh, this uh, network out for sure. So moving on, we are going to continue with the first reports of what happened to Christ, you know, when he it was uh, put into the tomb. And if you remember where we left off, what happens? So the Romans guarding the Je- uh, Jesus' tomb must have been facing serious consequences. Caiaphas and the other Jewish priests wanted to avoid having Jesus' body stolen but according to them, that was what they they thought happened, and the story was about to get out. Israel was in chaos after Christ's crucifixion. Still occupied by many Jesus supporters, the story of Jesus' body possibly missing will only exasperate matters. So you've heard me say it before, but I, I feel the need to have to keep on hammering this point across. That area was so hard to hold by the Romans. It was extremely hard. And so it sounds like to me that Pilate had to play damage control. In so many ways he could, you know, and we're going to get into Pointus Pilate, you know, probably on on his own separate podcast, but uh, there's a lot of characteristics about him, some good, some bad, and, um, you know, we'll, we'll get into it there. But, I mean, it sounds like he's trying to do damage control in an area which is not only foreign to him, 
but it seems to be very difficult to contain. And he realizes that the whole Jesus situation and his followers are a whole nother can of worms. Literally, I mean, I mean, it sounds, I mean, the best way to say it is cans of worms. The soldiers reported back to the Jewish elders, and instead of being punished, they were paid to tell the people that Jesus' body was stolen from the disciples while they were sleeping. The Jewish elders also promised to cover for the soldiers if Pilate were to find out. This is why the story of Jesus' body being stolen by the Jews has spread to, to this day. So the Jewish elders, they went ahead and they made you know, this little myth about saying, just tell them that the disciples took the body and we'll let, we'll let Pilate know about it if he finds out and we'll go ahead and we'll grease the skids, if you will, and we'll get you guys off the hook. Now, Jesus being stolen is very plausible but does not explain the resurrection. Some skeptic literature proposed that Joseph of Arimathea came to the tomb and transported Jesus' body to a more suitable place. The problem with this theory is that Jesus' followers and everyone in Jerusalem would have known that the body was moved. Why? Bodies being moved were very common. This is why when Mary came to the empty tomb, her first reaction was someone moved the Lord's body. Not for a moment that she proposed that Jesus was alive. So resurrection, even though they expected Christ to be resurrected, that was secondary to the cultural norm at that time. And the cultural norm was that it was highly probable that, that Jesus' body would have been moved somewhere else, which is why she said, someone has taken the body. And it wasn't until you know, Christ approached her to, to show her that he resurrected. Now, the reaction of the authorities was very, very telling indeed. The following Monday, Jerusalem was in absolute chaos. So, here we go, Pontius Pilate trying to, to, to do damage control, but he really couldn't because Jerusalem was in, in chaos. It is almost certain that Pilate found out about the fiasco of Jesus' tomb. Pilate was not going to sit back and do nothing. He must take action. So even though the uh, Jewish priests tried to protect the Roman soldiers that were guarding the tomb, there was a level of pushback for Pilate to react. Pilate sent Roman centurions to look for those who might have taken Jesus' body. So the rumor is that Jesus' body has been stolen. So what does Pilate do? He goes ahead and he says, I'm going to send people to find it. They were also on a manhunt to find Jesus' followers. So he's trying to kill two birds with one stone. He's trying to figure out where the body is, how to locate it, and also question and even, you know, arrest his followers. So in a way, the Jewish temple, the uh, priests are kind of giving him like a, a little mini goose chase because they are trying to say to protect the Roman soldiers. And then meanwhile, Pilate has to react and do something. One of the reasons the Romans knew that Jesus was not a revolutionary zealot plotting to overthrow Roman occupation is that there's a solid there's solid proof that the Romans also allowed Jesus' followers to operate unhindered decades after the crucifixion. Had they believed that Jesus was a real threat, there would have been thousands of crosses on Golgotha, the place where Christ was crucified, not three crosses. And we know the Romans, there are also reports, which we'll get into later on in a future podcast, where the Romans, when they decided to go ahead and put Jerusalem into dust, like there actually was a Jewish revolt to a point where the Romans said later on, that's it, enough is enough, lay them to waste. They put thousands of Jews crucified in that altercation, okay? So it's not foreign at all by any means of the imagination for the Romans to crucify thousands of people. I mean, they've done it. There are records to indicate that they've done it on many different occasions. They would go ahead and 
totally collapse either society or an army, and they would say crucify him, and then you would have, you know, thousands of people crucified. So this is nothing new to the Romans, but this is also very telling to say, hey, you know, we don't believe that this man, the uh, Jesus, who calls himself the Messiah, is that much of a threat, at least initially. And uh, this is why the disciples were able to operate afterward. And then if you read Acts in the Bible, and then we can also get through it as well, you'll actually see how they operated after Christ's crucifixion. That's where we're going with this journey, ladies and gentlemen. We are going down that way. So at the same time, even though he's not seen as a threat, there's a level that Pilate still needs to act. And you'll see what I mean now. For this reason, the gospel accounts are far more plausible than modern reconstruction theories. That Jesus was executed on charges of sedition that not even the Romans believed. And by the way, how do you explain a, a foreign god to the Romans? Probably one of the reasons why they didn't believe it. They have no concept of a Messiah in Roman or Greek history, you know, and there's no concept of redemption and salvation, and there's no concept of monotheism in the Greco Roman world either. So you have foreign occupiers trying to deal with these these people that they've conquered, and there's a level of you know, taking in their customs, you know, appeasing them, and but also showing force. So it's almost like a um, a tap dance, if you will. And so for all you conspiracy theorists out there, for all you pro-New Agers, okay, there's no justification to compare Jesus to other pagan gods. I'm sorry, you've been proven wrong, and it's really important that you realize that, because just because you have similarities between the ancient world and the pagan world, well, guess what? You're comparing pagan to pagan to pagan. In this case, you're trying to compare pagan to Christianity, and it just doesn't line up, okay? If you would like to you know, challenge me on that, by all means, I highly recommend for you to go ahead and get the book, Did Christ Exist?, written by an atheist agnostic uh, professor of the New Testament. So if you read that book, you'll understand where I'm coming from, okay? Now, Pilate thought that Christ was politically naive and similar to John the Baptist, but no real threat. It wasn't until Jesus started calling himself the Son of God that Pilate thought him to be quite troublesome. Troublesome, not a threat, but troublesome. Again, we know him as the Son of God. He's the Messiah. That's us. But imagine for a minute if you were either the Romans or, the, or, or his enemies or Pilate. From their point of view, understand the ramifications of what he's saying and how that can go ahead and spread all over the Judea world. Okay? You're already ocu- they're already occupied by the Romans. They don't like Romans. They're trying to find excuses to get rid of the Romans. Okay? And a lot of them thought that Jesus was this king with a sword that was going to fight off the Romans. I mean, that's what even uh, Judas believed. Judas believed that. You know, they didn't realize that this is a spiritual warfare. This is a spiritual revolution that's going to change the world from the inside. They didn't realize that this revolution was a revelation from God to go ahead and, and to change men's minds and souls and spirit and you know and and to reject the fleshly desires that we are that will consume our world right now they had no way of knowing that but at the same time they had to go ahead and also like not just let it fall to the wayside it's a hotbed over there they could lose control at any minute so even though they were the, the romans were the ruling class they still had to understand and watch how things operated they still need to keep their eye and their hands on things there's a great book the barbarians speak and it's a fantastic book about how when the Romans were occupying the German hinterland and all, all the dramatic tribes, the book was written by, I believe, an archaeologist, more archaeologist and historian, but it's still a great historical book. And in that book, he talks about how even though the Romans were the occupiers, how did they deal with the barbarians, the quote-unquote barbarians, 
and how it influenced the Romans. So even though the Romans were the occupiers, the fact of the matter is that they were living there and they were settling there. So what were they doing? They were building settlements there. They were marrying the German Germanic women. They were accepting their customs. So even though they were the occupiers, there is also a cultural and social uh, exchange from the conquered people to the conquerors. And that happens all over history. Pilate thought that Christ was politically naive and similar to John the Baptist, as we talked about. So Pilate's main objective, objective was to avoid trouble in, in, in that area at all costs. For the rest of Pilate's rule, he allowed the followers of Christ to operate in Jerusalem. Nevertheless, both the Roman and the Jewish authorities were on, the, on a manhunt trying to find Jesus' disciples and question them. Jesus' followers had to stay hidden. And again, also, you can, if you read Acts, you can figure out also as to why they were hidden, waiting for the Holy Spirit, and where they were hidden. However, they needed to travel to Galilee, and they knew they would see Jesus there. So they know that Jesus is resurrected, but they had to also kind of cover their butts and stay hidden until they can meet the Messiah later on. And so that's what they have to do. They have to stay hidden. They're being now hunted down by the Romans. And they have to figure out how to get to Galilee so they can see the resurrected Messiah. So that's all I have for you this week. Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you're really enjoying the direction of the show. I have a lot of exciting things happening. I'm really inspired by all the church history that, that Christianity has to offer. And I'm going to be exploring all that stuff. We're probably going to be, you know, I might go ahead and do subject by subject. I'm going to try my best to keep it in, in order as much as I can, at least for now before I start another subject. But right now we're going to talk about the crucifixion and the resurrection. Then we're going to talk about the path of the apostles. And then we're going to start going into the churches, like the Roman and the Byzantine churches. Also, maybe we're going to go ahead and we're definitely going to talk about the Protestant Reformation. So there's a lot of exciting stuff here. There's, you know, you just have to tune in. So stay with me, guys. Okay? And if you want to check me out, I am actually on social media. I am, if you find me on Facebook, I'm on the uh, Logos podcast. You can go ahead and like my page there. If you want to go and find me on Instagram, I'm Spartan Studios LLC, and you'll find a lot of logo stuff on there, Spartan Studios LLC. And also, I actually have also a website, just logospodcast.com, and there you can go ahead. I'm on the network, as I, I told you earlier, and also, you know, all my episodes are there. So if you haven't caught up, definitely check them out. All right, guys, listen, it's Sunday night. Have a great week. Have a great work week. Remember the grind. Remember to make things happen. You know, all you have in this life is your, your is faith in God and your two hands, but meet him halfway and work. Have faith in God and meet him halfway and work. All right. Thank you so much this week for listening in. I will catch you next week. All right. We have a lot of, a lot of exciting stuff. Stay tuned. You've been listening to the Logos Podcast with Andy Anastasopoulos. Visit us online at logospodcast.com and leave a message for Andy to be included in upcoming episodes. The Logos Podcast is part of the Who's Your Daddy Podcast Network and is produced by A History With God Ministries, ahistorywithgod.org.